Uh, so the passage tonight is 1 Corinthians uh, 10, starting at verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep them to keep to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No no temptation has overtaken no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean that when when do I mean that when do I mean that then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be, to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God, 
even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Great to be with you guys tonight. It'll be a great help if you keep 1 Corinthians chapter 10 open in front of you. Um, We'll pretty much be working through it top to bottom. Have you ever found out that you've been using something wrong? Have you ever been confidently using uh, something in particular and then realised that this whole time you've been using it in the wrong way? Uh, There's the story of a guy who tried to get a refund on his vacuum cleaner. Now, the store owners wanted to know why, and they did a bit of investigating, and they found out that his vacuum cleaner was full of dirt and grass clippings. Uh, Now, what this guy had been doing is he'd been mowing his lawn, and then just to clean up all the bits that had been left behind, he'd been giving his lawn a once-over with the vacuum. (laughs) Uh, My mum, who I love with all my heart, uh, she once decided that um, she wanted to get a photo that was on my phone onto her phone. Uh, She decided the best way to do that was to get me to open up my phone and to get her phone and for her to take a picture of the photo that was on my phone so that she could have it on her phone. Uh, Tonight we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where Paul is warning the Corinthians that they are misusing something badly. But Paul's not annoyed at them because they've been vacuuming the grass again. He's worried about them. He's worried because they are misusing their Christian freedom. They've got a hold of something good, but they're using it for the wrong thing and in the wrong way. Tonight we're going to see how the Corinthians were misusing their Christian freedom and how we might be at risk of doing the same thing. For the Corinthians, their big misuse of Christian freedom was around meat that had been sacrificed to idols. But what about us? How should we make sure that we're not misusing our freedom? What does 1 Corinthians chapter 10 have to say to us about how we think about drinking or not drinking, about how we spend our money, about how much we eat or don't eat, whether or not we should wear a piece of jewellery or a crystal that our friend has brought us, uh, because they think it's going to protect us from evil spirits. These are all issues that Christians might find themselves facing. Uh, We're not going to have time to hit all of those questions, but 1 Corinthians 10 is going to give us the tools and the motivations that we need to work out those issues for ourselves. How can we make sure... We're using our Christian freedom correctly. Before he can answer that, uh, Paul wants the Corinthians uh, to be warned about the danger of being cavalier, of thinking that because they're Christians, they are perfectly safe from falling into sin. But at the moment, there's this really thorny relationship between Paul and the Corinthians they're involved in some really unhelpful behaviour. And they're starting to accuse Paul. There's this risk that if this relationship gets any worse, that they're going to break up with Paul, that they're going to reject him as their teacher and their leader. Now, Paul's not worried about this for selfish reasons, but he's worried that if the Corinthians carry on in this way, 
they're not just going to need a new vacuum cleaner. He's worried that they're going to miss out, that they'll be giving up on something much more important. See, what he does is he reminds them of the past. He reminds them that God's people were still able to fall into idolatry and that the result was death. He wants to show them that idolatry was a real and fatal danger for God's people. Being a part of God's people didn't protect them from trying to replace God with something else. Have a look at what he says in verse 2 and verse 3. He says that the Israelites back then would have known they were the people of God because he'd rescued them out of Egypt and provided for them. They were the people of God and they enjoyed all of the benefits that came with that. God rescued the Israelites, but lots of them, he says, most of them, that's what he says in verse 5, most of them didn't make it to the promised land. Why didn't they make it? What was their downfall? Read with me verse 6 and verse 7. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. See, Paul is warning the Corinthians that idolatry, it's not just an out there problem, it's an in here problem. The Corinthians cannot be cavalier because they can fall into idolatry too. And he shows them that it's an in-here problem, because idolatry is an in-here problem. Idolatry doesn't just happen when we bow down to statues. Idolatry happens in our hearts. Idolatry might look like worshipping a golden calf like it did for the Israelites, but have a look at how he describes it in verses 8 to 10. He says that idolatry can look like being sexually immoral. Idolatry will look like putting Jesus to the test, grumbling that he is in charge and not them. And so I hope you can see from this picture of idolatry that Paul has given to the Corinthians that we are at risk of being cavalier Christians too. Christians who fall into idolatry, who don't go the distance as Christians. We might not be at risk of worshipping a statue, but do we realise that sexual immorality at its root is a problem of idolatry? That when we look at someone else here and objectify them in our minds, we're engaging in idolatry for our own pleasure. We are worshipping ourselves or worshipping that person or worshipping a lie about sexual fulfilment. When we do that, we're worshipping something other than God. Do we realise that when we grumble, when we complain about the people that God has put in charge of us, that we're grumbling against God, that we're testing Jesus, we're wishing that we were calling the shots and that God wasn't? And so Paul says in verse 12, be careful. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. See, Paul knows what humans are like. Being here, being in church, receiving good gifts from God, 
even having all of the warnings from Israel's history recorded for us, it isn't enough to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things. So we have to be careful. But Paul, he knows us, but he also knows God. He knows what God is like, and he wants to remind the Corinthians of that too. Have a look at verse 13. He says it there right in the middle. God is faithful. God's not trying to trip us up. The temptation to sin that he asked Christians to endure are common, Paul says. He knows that as weak and fallen Christians on this side of the new creation, we're always going to feel tempted to sin. And what does God do? He actively provides for us so that we can endure that temptation. And because of that, we should run away. God actively provides for us to endure temptation, so we should run away from temptation. Why? Because cavalier Christians fall into idolatry. God gives us strength to endure temptation, but he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows that the best way to avoid falling into temptation is to get as far away from it as possible. Have a look at what he says in verse 14. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, flee from idolatry. If you're trying to cut down on calories, uh, you know that it's a dumb idea to put an open packet of Tim Tams next to you on your desk while you're working. Uh, You know that you're making it harder for yourself if you walk up and down the freezer aisle at Coles where all the ice creams are. It's the same with idolatry, with putting things in place of God. Don't be cavalier Christians who fall into idolatry. Because cavalier Christians fall into idolatry despite their good theology. Corinth, uh, where these people were, uh, Corinth was this swirling mix of cultures where fresh ideas about God and gods, they mashed together constantly. And so the Corinthians were very theological, They were very theologically minded. They were always up to date with the latest theological debates and questions. Theological knowledge held a high place in the Corinthian church. But Paul puts his finger on the problem. He says, theological knowledge isn't everything. The Corinthians have grabbed hold of some theological truths about God and the world and idols but they're using these theological truths to justify deeply unhelpful behaviour. And so they're finding themselves drawn into sins that they are saying is fine because of the true things that they've learned about God. They've emerged out of this culture that is tied up with sexual immorality and worshipping things other than God, and they're using their Christian freedoms to keep participating in those behaviours. And it's a big problem. So big that Paul has been dealing with this one issue about meat sacrificed to idols for the last couple of chapters. Paul wants the Corinthians to see that it isn't enough to have theological knowledge. Theology is only good if it goes deep. Good theology should change your heart as well as your head. This is how we saw it play out in chapter 8. Uh, There's this theological truth that an idol 
is nothing. And because of that, uh, I have the right to eat idol meat. This statue that people are bowing down to, it's just an idol, it's just a piece of wood or metal. And I, a theological Corinthian, know that an idol is nothing, so it's fine to eat the meat. But my theology hasn't gone deep enough because in my heart, I'm still motivated by my rights. I should be allowed to do this, so I'm going to do it no matter what. But being, by, being led by my rights has caused my Christian brother or sister to sin. See, they have a weak conscience, Paul says. They think that eating this meat is sinful. And because they've seen me do it, they go against their conscience and they eat the meat too. But Paul says their rights shouldn't be the thing that motivates them. It should be love for their brother or sister. So in chapter 9, he gives them uh, an example of what this will look like. As this theological truth, the Lord commanded that those who preach the gospel get paid. They should be supported by their people so that people can be freed up to be ministers full time. But because Paul knows the Corinthians and he is motivated by love for them, he chooses not to get paid. He refuses to get paid by them. He's worried that if they paid him for preaching, they wouldn't accept the gospel. They might think he's just another motivational speaker who's come to their hustling and bustling town. We see this play out again in chapter 10. The same theological truth, an idol is nothing. But now they're using that theological truth as a reason for participating, not just eating sacrificial meat that's been sacrificed to idols, participating in idol worship. And Paul says that that is something that Christians cannot do. Let's read from verse 19. Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. The Corinthians are using this fact that idol meat is nothing to get involved with religious practices and ceremonies of the day. These ceremonies involve worshipping other spiritual beings and often went hand in hand with sexual immorality and sexual activity at the temple. And so what Paul does is he uses the example of communion. Uh, We all know that grape juice is just grape juice and bread is just bread. Uh, But we know that in this context, in the context of communion, when we say the words together and we eat and drink together, we're not just having a snack in the middle of church. We're participating in something. We're declaring allegiance to God and worshipping him. And Paul says it's the same when they go to the temple. Sure, meat is just meat, and that statue is just some wood, but when you put all of those things together, you're participating in something. In that context, you are taking part in idolatry. Sure, the idol isn't a god like the Heavenly Father is, but there are evil spiritual forces at work. Demons who are being worshipped at those ceremonies. 
And because the Corinthians are motivated by their rights, they are participating in that worship. They're doing the opposite of worshipping God and they're using their theology about God to justify it. Paul says they are arousing the Lord's jealousy. They think they are stronger than God. He says in one action they're guilty of two sins. They're sinning against their brother and sister and causing them to stumble and they're committing their own sin by participating in demon worship. They have some good theology, but their knowledge about God, it hasn't gone deep enough. And so that cavalier attitude leads them into idolatry. And Uni Church, I hope you can see us in that picture that we have of the Corinthians. We are in such a danger of falling into some of the same traps. St. Matt's is a church that prides itself on good theology knowing what is right and what is wrong. We love debating spiritual ideas and showing what we know. But our good theology is only good if it leads to good actions, if it goes deeper, if our theology changes our hearts. Because our hearts will win out every single time. We can have crystal clear theological truths in our heads, But if our hearts are motivated by what our rights are, we're going to fall into the same trap as the Corinthians. We'll be so on about our Christian freedom that we do things which are harmful to our brothers and sisters and are the opposite of what God wants us to do. Uh, There's lots of ways we might fall into this. Maybe it's in the TV shows we watch, the language we use, what we spend our money on, uh, let me just drill down into two areas that I think us as uni churches might be particularly at risk. Let's have a go. Uh, so up the top here, we've got a theological truth. Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding celebration. Uh, it happened in John chapter 2. You can look it up there. Uh, nowhere in the Bible does it say that I can't have alcohol. Jesus turned water into wine. How good. But if we are motivated by our right to drink, we might find ourselves in situations where our insistence to drink is unhelpful for our brothers and sisters, even causing them to go against their conscience and drink, causing them to fall into sin. Or it might be that like the Corinthians in the temple, we are leveraging our right to drink alcohol participate in ceremonies and practices that are not honouring to God. Sure, a beer is just a beer. A table tennis table is just a table tennis table. A red cup is just a cup that is red. But if we find ourselves at a party where the focus of the event is to participate in drinking games and getting drunk, Paul would want us to stop. And instead of thinking about what my rights are in that situation, instead thinking about how can I love my neighbour and honour God in this situation. Or if we find ourselves in clubs in Northbridge or at any place where drinking and sexual activity are the main things on the agenda, 
we have to ask ourselves if our theology has gone deep enough, if we're being motivated by our rights or motivated by love, are we arousing the Lord's jealousy by participating in those things? Uh, the second way that uni churches might be at risk is this. By buying into the idea that this is all there is, that only what you can see and touch and taste and smell is what there is. We say we believe that Jesus exorcised demons in the New Testament, but often we act as if we've progressed beyond that and that there could never, ever be any spiritual dimension to anything that we get involved with. Paul says we should flee from idolatry. And so, for example, it might be that we need to check out the yoga class that we go to. Now, if that is just a place where you stretch and breathe, then you absolutely have the Christian freedom to keep going there. But if there's chanting, if there's incense being burned, if people, if your instructor is telling you that you're centering your energy when you go to these classes, then you have to ask yourself, am I participating in something that has a spiritual dimension to it? And if the answer is yes, Paul says we should flee from that thing. Those are just two uh, examples that I thought of during the week. I'm happy to take questions uh, about that during our Q&A time at the end. But I do believe that we aren't doing 1 Corinthians chapter 10 justice if we don't examine our lives and think where we might be participating in things that arouse the Lord's jealousy. Because Uni Church, we are not stronger than God. We should flee from those things. So we've seen that cavalier Christians fall into idolatry despite their good theology. And Paul says this is bad because the result will be Christians misuse their freedom when they do this. That's what Paul wants the Corinthians to see in this last part of chapter 10, from 23 to the end. See, in this section we get a little worked example of what Christian freedom should look like. And Paul is going to show them in this little example what it's all about. Christian freedom isn't about pushing the boundaries, working out where the line is so I can get as close to it as possible. God has given us freedom, not for us, but for our neighbour. So here's the situation. Uh, You're invited around to your workmate's house for dinner. It's been a big year in the chariot-making business where both of you work. Uh, But they aren't a Christian. Most of the people there aren't Christian. And beef is on the menu. And so here's the theological truth, right? Did you see it in verse 26? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So just like before, meat belongs to God. It doesn't belong to idols. You can enjoy God's good creation. You can eat what is put in front of you with a clear conscience. Paul backs this up a few verses later. This isn't a grey area. You are absolutely free to use your Christian freedom in this area. But as your fork is halfway to your mouth, Cletus, who works in the upholstery department at the chariot-making business, he taps you on the shoulder 
See, Cletus has read an opinion piece in the Corinthian Post. He's heard, incorrectly mind you, that Christians can't eat meat in any context that has been sacrificed to idols. He's trying to do you a solid, right? He says, hey, I happen to know where this meat has come from. It's come from a temple where it was offered as a sacrifice. I thought you should know because I know that you aren't allowed to eat it. Now, Cletus is wrong. You are well within your rights to keep eating. But Paul says that in that situation, you have this great freedom, your Christian freedom, not to eat the meat. Why? Because you're not motivated by what you have the right to do. You're motivated by love for your friend Cletus. And so as the fork hovers halfway between your mouth and your plate, you think to yourself, how can I best love Cletus in this situation? Is now the best time for me to tell him in front of all of his workmates that he's wrong, to sit him down and to explain to him the ins and outs of this complex Christian issue? Is now the time to embarrass him and to keep eating for the sake of my rights? Or is the most loving thing to do to thank him, to pass on the meal for his sake, to not offend him or hurt his conscience? Imagine the conversation that might flow out from that. Think of the awkwardness that you have taken on so that your friend Cletus didn't have to. Imagine the effect it will have on Cletus when next week he finds out that you could have eaten the meat, that you could have eaten it with a clear conscience, but you didn't do it for his sake. What might Cletus think about Christians after that interaction? Paul says our motivation should be for our neighbours. Let's read from verse 32. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. The whole point of Christian freedom is to use it for the sake of others. It's not for me or my rights. It's for my neighbour, whoever they are. Jew, Greek, churchgoer, not a churchgoer. Cavalier Christians fall into idolatry despite their good theology and they misuse their freedom. But careful Christians flee from idolatry because of their deep theology and they use their freedom to point to Jesus. Let's read uh, verse 31 and then skip down to chapter 11, verse 1. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This is how Paul finishes this three-chapter section. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The Bible says that when we act in this way, when we flee from idolatry when our theology goes deep into our hearts and changes them, that we can act like the Lord Jesus himself. Did you notice where Jesus uh, popped up in this passage earlier? 
It's right back near the start in verse 4. When he's talking about Israel and their history, he says, They drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Uh, If you aren't a Christian here tonight, then just that little picture is a great picture of why Christians love Jesus. It's a great picture of what Jesus did when he died for us on the cross. See, at a time when Israel was wandering in the desert, God provided for them. Israel's leader struck a rock and it split open and water rushed out of it and the people were able to drink. They were able to feed their livestock. Without that water, the Israelites would have died out. And 2,000 years ago, God provided for us. The Lord Jesus, the Son of God, he became a man. He gave up his rights and did what would be most honouring to God. Just like that rock was broken open, he died on the cross to put us right with God. And at that moment, people across all space and time who put their trust in Jesus got something better than water, something truly life-giving. They were saved from an eternal death because Jesus died for us. The love of Jesus has spilled out like water from that rock to Christians. We have been saved because Jesus had this attitude towards us. See, up the top, there was this theological truth that we've all sinned, that we've all sinned against God. But Jesus wasn't motivated by rights. He was motivated by love for us, and so he took the action of dying for us. And uni churches, if we follow the example of Jesus, then his love spills out of us too. It spills out to our... Sorry, his love spills out of us too. It spills out to our Christian brothers and sisters as we care for them, as we give up our rights and use our Christian freedom for them. But it spills out of here too. It spills out to our workmates and to our classmates as we think about what actions we can do for their sake rather than our own. When we try to act like Jesus, giving up our rights so that other people benefit from our actions, we are giving them life. We are showing them the saving love of the Lord Jesus. So uni churches, this week, will we use our Christian freedom properly? Will we think about all the different ways we can act, all the ways we can be motivated by love for our neighbour? What is a right that you could give up this week? What is one way that you are seeking your own good that you could give up? Follow the example of Jesus and point people to him. How could you flee from idolatry this week because of your theology and use your freedom to point people to Jesus? Uh, Sam is going to lead us in prayer now as we think about those things.